level up your hunting game and join the cause. Help preserve small town Texas hunting culture and become a more successful hunter by learning the best ways to squeeze the most out of your budget and precious time out in the field. Welcome to the Feed Bandit Podcast. Here are your resident bandits, Richard Kinchlow and Jimmy Byrne. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, faithful listeners of the Feed Bandit Podcast. Corn Bandit coming back at you with a uh, a solo podcast for you here today. Uh, uh, me and El, Mr. El Bandito himself have been super busy. I mean, after all, it is hunting season, right? So what you know what uh, what good would we be if we're not out there logging actual field time? So wanted to do a, a, a just a, a quick podcast for you guys, talking a little bit about the past couple weekends of dove hunting. You know, I know we're getting oh so close to the opening of rifle season in Texas. And of course, bow season in Texas is already underway, and um, you know, hunting season and, and uh, rifle and bow in some states is already going as well. But I feel I feel that I'm I am uh, you know blessed and obviously obviously in a way to to be able to go out there and hunt as much as I do, especially when it comes to dove. And you know, I I think dove are one of the underhunted species in the you know in the in the country really. So. Um, I like to do my part to talk about what I'm seeing out there in the field, and you know, hopefully, you all will be able to take some of the information and duplicate it on the place you hunt. So, talk a little bit about that, and also, I found a really cool article on online uh, uh, from a source that we'll we'll post here in the show notes. But uh, just kind of a good general preparation article, you know, kind of get geared more towards well, I really bow hunters, obviously, but. You know, also for rifle hunters, talking about some things you might want to consider uh, before uh, you know before going out there and, and hopping in that blind on opening uh, opening weekend of deer season. So we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll kind of touch on that article, and again we'll post it uh, down below as well. So uh, first and foremost, want to get back to the uh, back to the dove hunting. Um, you know, we've said it a million times here on this uh, on this show, and. Uh, you, you've heard it elsewhere, but you know a lot of a lot of dove hunting is really done in the first couple of weeks of September, and, and then that's it. You know, they really everybody kind of hangs their gun ups. Now, of course, you know that's that's not everybody, okay. And then you've got people like me who are the the outlier. Okay, it's going back just to uh, statistics at Texas Tech with the Ronald Dr. Ronald Bremer. The only thing I learned in there was the term outlier, and uh, I guess when it would come to uh, a dove hunting, I am the outlier. I mean, I will sit there and I will hunt them literally every single weekend until I cannot do it anymore. And uh, kudos to the state of Texas for extending the season into, I think this is the second year in a row now, it actually goes into the second weekend of November, which I think is uh, really, really cool. But, um, you know, that being said, with, you know, not a lot of dove hunting, you know, coming from hunters really in the middle of September, it's certainly not a lot in October either. And I think it's a real shame. You know, for a couple of reasons, you know, first and foremost, God bless it. Normally, it's a lot cooler, right? Uh, that being said, uh, yesterday was August or August. God, thank God it wasn't October 11th, and uh, it was a balmy 97 degrees at my uh, daughter's four four o'clock soccer game. So uh, it was it was kind of funny. Everybody was trying to dress like it was fall, but uh, it clearly felt like um, clearly felt like it was summer, but. Uh, most of the time, obviously, those October dove hunts are just just darn pleasant, to be, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the other thing is you can also get a lot of good hunting in. Uh, you know, by, by that time, uh, we have definitely had multiple cold fronts have blown through the area. And as we've always talked about, 
you know, what those cold fronts always bring good surprises, okay? And they're going to bring you more migratory birds. Uh, if you're like me and you just like being outside, which, of course, we hope you are like me and just love being outside, it brings in monarch butterflies, too, something to kind of pass the time when you're waiting on the next bird to come by. And then, of course, for all the avid waterfowlers out there, which I am, too, also brings in fresh loads of ducks and geese and cranes and all that kind of good stuff, which in Texas we really can't touch until uh, – Oh, first weekend of November, but it, it's good for them to come on in, get comfortable, enjoy life, you know, swimming on their back, feeding on duckweed, and so that when they show up on that uh, opening morning, it's uh, a nasty surprise. So, uh, with all that being said, wanted to talk about the last couple of weekends of uh, of kind of the, the Texas dove season. So, this would really be the, the first and second weekend, and I guess... The third weekend, is that right? Did I did I carry the one? I can never remember. Yeah, okay, so no, it would have been the uh, second to last weekend, or no, it would have been the last weekend of September, first weekend of October, and then uh, last weekend. So we're going to talk about the last three weekends because it, it is incredible how, how how things can really change. Okay, so here we go. Uh, the last weekend of September. All right, so let, let, let's talk about the setting. Let's talk about what's going on. Okay, well, first and foremost, you all remember, if you listen to the show, we had how many inches of rain did we have? About 14 to 16 inches of rain uh, on September 2nd. I remember that because my father had a great dove hunt that night, opening day. Next morning, since we hunted over water, was a comp- or the next day, rather, complete washout, and really so was the majority of September. Uh, because again, we are hunting over water. That is our primary ambush site. And when you got puddles and you got cre- you know streams, as long as they're out in the open and they kind of meet their needs, as far as uh, you know safety is concerned, those dove will just assume land there, as they would at our at our frack tank. So uh, September was really frustrating. Well, well, guess what? The end of September, first weekend of October, were freaking outstanding. So let's talk about it. Again, dry climate, okay, hadn't had any rain to speak of, uh, but we had had some significant cold fronts. When I say significant, I put those in little air quotes because, you know, we're, 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 we're talking about we were in the 80s and then it dropped the high into, you know, 74, okay, and just barely scraped the upper 50s, 59, you know, on some thermometers, you know, more like really the, the low 60s. So uh, definitely cool enough to feel. Uh, feel like fall here in Texas, uh, and, and certainly the birds were. So we'll uh, so that that Friday of that first um, uh, of that second weekend, excuse me, the last, uh, last weekend of September, rather, uh, we show up. Show up a little bit early, you know. Typically, when you're hunting tanks, it's you know the the hunting water source. Really, you know, the birds are typically going to hit that last before they go to roost. That's just kind of what they do. Um, and they've, that's always been my experience. You know, hey, with white wings or different parts of, the, of Texas, it could be different. But everywhere I've hunted, that's always been you know my experience. So uh, I just assumed I knew we had some fronts in, knew it's been dry. Figured, man, we got to have some birds in the area, and I was right. So we pull up to our our, our normal spot. You know, the frack tank, as you've heard us say a million times. And, um, you know, we, we go to drop off our first person at his side and, and lo and behold, we got five or six birds bust out of the tree. And I'm thinking, man, oh man, that is great. You know, birds of feather flock together. And that is definitely the case when it comes to migratory dove. Um, you know, you see when, when you don't really see onesie twosies, like you do locals. Okay. Dove that kind of born and raised there, if you will. Uh, it, it's typically in groups and, and that, that certainly played out to be true. 
uh, last couple of weekends. So uh, we saw that. It was really exciting. That was approximately 345, uh, 350, something. I know it's crazy. I can remember that time. But so again, we're there a little bit early. You know, typically they're going to come in. Um, you know, the activity really starts to pick up towards dark. And then, you know, normally with migratory birds, you, you get kind of a big boom, you know, <laughs> right at shooting light or just after. And then uh, all heck breaks out. But a lot of times it's too late and you just got to watch them. So. So we pull up, and, and, and really, the action was relatively steady throughout the entire evening, which was just great. And again, you know, we, we had groups of, uh, you know, uh, pairs, really, okay? You know, twos, are, uh, twos and fours and sixes and eights coming in, you know, occasionally a single here and there, but uh, it was a phenomenal hunt. And again, they were keying on that water, uh, and, we, and we did extremely well. Uh, went back there the second week, uh, second uh, evening, and, and didn't do as good, but still had a great shoot. And it's tough to shoot water two times in a row. Um, it's the same water two times in a row. And typically during the normal, during the the first couple weeks of the season, I won't do it. Uh, I will rest it because I know that you know we haven't had any new influxes of birds. I don't want to be, I don't want to be re-educating somebody that I shot at you know the night before and missed because you shoot at them again, chances are they could be gone. They could be gone that first time you shoot them and, and miss them. So, uh, but during the when the migratories, there's so many of them sometimes that you know I'll, I'll hunt a tank twice. So uh let me tell you what what a what what a what a great hunt. Okay, two great hunts. Uh, the on this last week of teal season two, and that stunk, but that was disappointing. But uh, the dove hunting was great, couldn't have been happier. So, uh, fast forward to the first weekend of October. Okay, here we go again. No rain. Okay, same basic conditions. Actually, it's going to be a little bit warmer this time, but we actually have one or two little, you know, these little micro fronts, you know, whereas in the, the panhandle of Texas, it gets down to the yeah, it's in the 40s, and by the time it gets here, it's really kind of petered out. It's it's, it's nothing to it's nothing to get too excited about, but it still felt good, and I knew it was still going to bring in birds. Well, here we go, same thing. This time we get there a little early. Friday of the last weekend of October, we end up getting there probably about 3:30, and the trees are loaded with dove. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So. Uh, we were we were cautiously optimistic. Actually, a good friend of mine coming in from the west. He actually stopped by the tank on the way to the on the way to the house and saw uh, you know a bunch of birds that were already working. And this was noon, you know, so so we we knew we were in for a really good hunt. So uh, and of course it didn't disappoint. You know, we absolutely uh, we we tore them up. We absolutely tore them up. Now uh, you know we always talk about migratories and and, and their their um you know kind of their routine of just hitting these tanks you know really at the, the last light okay and then jimmy's jimmy my my co-host obviously has mentioned it many many a times and, and he's right that's typically the way it works uh the weekend before we really got we did i didn't mention this but we did get a pretty big boom about 6 30 or so and and shooting light wasn't until 7 30 so naturally we waited until shooting light that weekend to see if we could get anything else and it really just kind of died down well polar opposite this weekend had some decent shooting um, um and, and and did very well in fact i i think i was at like 13 birds something like that and obviously was just tickled to death um and then um you know literally god eight minutes you know may, maybe 10 minutes before legal shooting light the skies erupted 
Uh, and, and it was unbelievable. And, and to set the kind of the stage for you, you know, we, we had been there again since 3.30, obviously pretty early, uh, and had some shots. We definitely had some shots, but a lot of the birds were avoiding the tank. I mean, you, you could see them out there. We were talking to each other. You know, we had a guy who was positioned on the hill you know, overlooking the tank, but he can also look out there in the field, and he can see all these doves just flying, um, I, I guess, literally from south to north. And they were landing, and uh, and they were landing in these trees to where we, we we couldn't see them. You know, they were, you know, a quarter mile, half mile away, something like that. So I'd say a quarter mile away. Uh, so we knew that we knew they were there. And really, the whole evening, we'd have some come in and shoot, and then they would, they'd head toward these trees, and or uh, or you know, if they didn't, if they didn't come in, they would head towards the trees. And so they were stacking up out there, and and that's exactly what they were doing is they're staging. You know, we we we've talked about with Dove. You know, dove love to sit there and just kind of chill before they before they make their next move. You know, it's kind of a loafing is, is really what it is. And and so we had birds starting from 3.30 in the afternoon that were going to these trees, and they were just sitting there. You know, we could see, and so it was a quarter, it was less than a quarter of a mile now I think about it, because we could see if they would fly down because we could see them get out of the trees, you know. And they were literally just sitting there doing nothing, just hanging out in the shade. And, and, and sure as hell, here it comes. So shooting light, I think at the, uh, that weekend was about 7.30, something like that. So I would say at, at you know, 7.20, 7.21, I mean, to be exact, I looked at my phone, here they come. You know, we're all kind of yelling, you know, get ready, here they come. And it, it was it was amazing. Uh, they just, they were dive bombing this tank and it was an absolute war. It, it was awesome. Okay. It, it wasn't Lubbock. It wasn't Argentina, but you know what? It was damn fun. It was worth the wait. Uh, and, and I think the, the coolest thing is I ended up limiting. I did actually end up limiting, limiting the first day and uh, we left them flying. You know, I'm sitting there picking up my gear and uh, there's just nothing more exciting than just watching hordes and hordes of dove come in there. And I always say it, it's good luck to leave that, to leave that, leave the hunt, leave them flying. And that's certainly what we did. So uh, again, an October hunt, migratory birds, dry conditions coming into that water source. It was phenomenal. Well, during that hunt, my uh, my my dear friend who was on the hill, he was looking over. Uh, towards another pasture that that we own and it's it's full of uh, sunflower full of native sunflower now i hadn't mowed it yet uh because uh, quite frankly time just got away from us but he could see hordes of dove in this in this nat in this uh um uh natural sunflower field not natural what am i what's the word i'm looking for uh um anyway you, you know what i'm saying we didn't plant it in other words a wild sunflower there we go and so he said, "Hey, you know, let's let's see if we can go over there, you know, middle of the afternoon on on the for the hunt on Saturday and see if we can get into them." I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And it was it, the conditions were going to be pretty good because it was definitely going to be warmer. Uh, the wind was going to be a little bit less, uh, which is which is nice. And so we said, "Okay, we'll, we'll drive. We'll take the long way and um, we'll, we'll drive over there. We'll park in the shade, and that's our goal to leave the house about two thirty. So we do that and." Uh, we we take our time getting over there, and we're checking other tanks and fields and whatnot while we're driving over there, and just nothing, 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 nothing. Uh, we end up getting to this field and parking under the tree, and we stayed there for probably two hours, <laughs> just watching for dove, hoping to see, you know, some gigantic big burst cloud of migratory dove, and we just didn't see a damn thing. 
Uh, it was just crazy. And again, just that, that that's migratory. You know, they're they're very unpredictable. They're like children. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And so they ended up uh, really not being there. Um, you know, my my that same friend of mine, he hunted that hill, and he could actually see him there uh, in the evening. You know, a couple hours uh, after this, but but nothing like the numbers that that we saw. So, you know. We went back to the tank, you know, again, and then we show up, and sure enough, there's birds there. I mean, starting off kind of like it did uh, the uh, on the Friday before, and it was funny because I think I started off. I mean, I had just put my mojo out, and I mean, literally put just put my plugs in my ears, and here they come. And I've I got three on the ground that quick. I said, "Oh my god, it's four fifteen, and I've already got three birds towards my limit." I mean, that's. I couldn't do the math. Still, I still can't. But yeah, I'm like, I, you know, I'm still in the teens. I need dove here, but I'm sure as hell got a good start. So that was that was super exciting. And again, as it was the day before, we definitely had some birds coming in, but but nothing like it was. Um, they, I do contribute that to us to that to shooting that. So uh, so here we go. Okay, we're starting to see birds stack up again. I said, my here they go. They're going to do it again. They're going to make that big push. You know, hopefully a couple minutes for shooting light. This is going to be great, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll 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 start cleaning up on. And I think I'd ate my bag at that time. So uh, again, shooting light. I think now was like seven thirty one. You know, it changed uh, or uh, the seven twenty nine rather. Okay, so it gotten a little bit earlier, and uh, sure as hell, here come those birds. But it's about seven twenty eight, <laughs> and it was getting dark. It was definitely getting dark. So. Uh, you know the shooting light there is it, it's there for a reason, but I, I I swear to you, it's like they knew. It was like they knew, and again, we literally shot for about a minute, minute and a half, you know, until because we we follow the rules, you know, and uh, and again we left them flying, but we 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 were we were pissed. We're like, man, they it's like they had watches. They knew. Uh, so it was, it was really, really cool. Now, of course, in that minute and a half, we ended up taking three or four apiece. I mean, they, they were just so thick. Um, but, uh, man, that, that is migratory dove hunting. That is what you've got. That is what you look forward to, uh, in October. Now it can be really hit or miss. And I say that because of this, uh, and my father went back to the frack tank this past weekend. Okay. So there've been three weekends in a row. Again, same types of conditions, except this time we haven't had a front in about a week. Okay. So we're dealing, you know, potentially with some stagnant birds, uh, it's kind of a stagnant situation, really. Um, you know, the other thing is, is that it was actually hotter, okay? And I've always said the more miserable you are as far as heat, or heat is concerned, you know, typically the better the dove hunting. And, and <laughs> you know, but, but I never said that, that that's going to work all the time. Well, it certainly did not work out this time. You know, unfortunately, my, my father and one of his dear friends was, uh, was skunked with a capital S uh, this past Friday. I mean, to the point where they didn't even see a dove. Uh, which is just unheard of, especially in October, especially at this place. So um, it happens. That's migratory dove. You know, again, they're they're fickle. They're like children. You know, they you think they're going to go here and they end up going there. But that's what makes it fun. Uh, not really. If it was up to me and I could calculate it and get it perfect, that that's what I would do. But I'm a spoiled little. You know what? When it comes to dove hunting, and I want it my way, perfect every single time. Uh, but it, obviously, it does not work out that way. So um, that boy that that was uh, that was the dove hunting weekend, my friends, and it was it was absolutely again just an absolute incredible weekend. 
Um, again, 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 I encourage you, you know, if you've got the opportunity to go hunt dove, uh, late in the season, man, you, you just can't beat it. You know, you, you know, you're out there in your shorts and your snake boots. Okay. If, if you're hunting in a you know, semi-cut field and it feels good out there, you're listening to the, you know, your football team lose like Texas tech has been doing lately. And it makes me very angry and they lose enamel off my teeth. But, man, listen, man, it's fall. And God knows it's better than sitting in the damn house like we did with that stupid controvirus thing. So, uh, again, anyways, I encourage everybody to get out there. Do some late-season dove hunting. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's very rewarding. Now, of course, you run the risk sometimes if you're hunting a smaller piece of property, you know, to where, okay, you know, am I going to dove hunt or am I going to, you know, I don't want to spook things too much for deer hunting. And I, I think that's true. I think it's a good argument. I think a lot of people will, you know, will not go and hunt, um, you know, smaller pieces of property in October because they're wanting things to, to uh, you know, to kind of cool off for deer season. Totally valid argument, and I completely understand that. So, um, yeah, a little, a little tip for you here. You know, if you've got a good working relationship with your ranch manager, okay, or what ranch manager, with your, uh, you know, the guy who owns the ranch, okay, um, you know, ask, ask that person, Hey, I'd like to do some dove hunting Any suggestions, you know, talk to those people. They can help you find a place, maybe not even on their place. Okay. So if you're hunting a, you know, a couple hundred acre place and you know, you don't want to shoot it up, but you, you know, you, you want to try some dove hunting, ask your rancher and say, Hey, you know, do you have any other, uh, I was about to say colleagues, but that doesn't really work out there in the bush. Uh, you got any other, you know, places where you could potentially dove hunt, but then connect me with somebody, you know, uh, you know, maybe, so maybe you can go shoot somewhere else and you don't, uh, you know, you don't disturb the place you're deer hunting. So again, just a thought, um, again, working out there, asking those types of things out there is, is very common. It's still kind of the good old boys system and thank God for that. So, uh, anyways going to be reading an article or discussing an article rather that I saw on the North Texas E news um looks to be kind of a well looks to be a North Texas E newsletter is what it is but there's an article in here that came out on the uh well actually just yesterday October 11th and it's um it was put out by the uh, Texas AgriLife Extension Wildlife Specialists uh wildlife specialists um I guess it's a gentleman there who it's just got some some tips. It's one of the uh, the PhD there named John, uh, let's see, Tomachek, and uh, basically he is with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. He's really just kind of gone through here and, and and talked about some uh, some actually some really good some really good tips on you know getting your place ready. Now, you know, I as I like a lot of Texans generally, um, you know, again we we talked about several times, but. You know, when it comes to dove hunting, I think a lot of a lot of Texans will hunt those first couple weekends. They, generally speaking, use those weekends to, you know, get their blinds ready, things of that nature, and um, also use that time to to fill up their feeders and whatnot. So, um, you know, a lot of this, um, you know, a lot of this has ha happened here, but or already happened for a lot of folks. But just in case it hasn't, here's some some tips from him. So the first thing he kind of talks about is is making a plan. And he basically says, uh, you know, the, the the more time that you sit there and you, you you make a plan and you you actually get in there and and you know take care of your your blinds and your feeders and whatnot, obviously that's going to save you a lot of headaches um, uh, when it comes to opening day. And he talks particularly here about 
uh, you know, about the insects and the blinds, you know, and obviously if you've got ground blinds, you've got to watch out for snakes. Mice are more prevalent in there too, whereas tower stands can uh, can include uh, raccoons, have that happen, and uh, owls, I've had that happen too, you know, during the season, your windows get knocked out, and um, oh my lord, you go in there and there's three foot worth of owl droppings. Let me tell you, as a young man, I, I was not thin. Uh, but I did have stomach muscles, and that is from dry heaving so hard as I was told to scurry up there, boy, and clean out that blind. And, uh, boy, I earned my keep. Let's put it that way. But uh, he talks about, you know, taking the time to, you know, to check out the blinds for damage, you know, whether it be raccoons, uh, yellow jackets. I've actually heard that the uh, the wasps have been really bad this year. It seems to be kind of unanimous. Unanimous to some or a unanimous statement for all over the state of Texas this year. They've just it's it's been really really rough. You know, not necessarily yellow jackets yet, but a lot of the other uh, red wasps. You know, my my um, my experiences has definitely been with red wasps, but then the the darn yellow jackets, which you know those guys mean mean dudes. I typically start to encounter them really when it starts to cool down. You know, they'll. They kind of bury themselves in the insulation of those blinds. And, you know, when it's cold outside and cold in the blind, once you get in there, you start warming up, the walls start to creak. And it, let me tell you guys, it, and guys and gals, it's just not fun. In fact, my daughter has been stung. Uh, see, she's two yellow jackets and two bees. So uh, both yellow jackets were in our blinds. And uh, it's just so, so frustrating. So, anyways, it talks about, again, kind of planning ahead. Now, kind of continuing on with the whole wasp conversation, you know, we have found that, you know, bombing the blinds in advance don't really do a lot of good. In fact, I think it just kind of makes them mad. Uh, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, bombing the blinds at, you know, noon on the, you know, when you're out there is, is, is not a good time to do it because no, nobody's home. You know, so if you're going to bomb your blinds, especially when it gets colder, I highly recommend doing that in the morning. You know, getting up a little bit early and um, you know going out there, rise the sun's coming up again, especially if it's cold and uh, all the uh, wasps are home. Throw a couple of those bombs in there, and that'll definitely take care of it. Uh, as it gets colder, however, you're probably going to need to do more. You know, and I don't care how much you you seal up your blinds; it's going to happen. Um, it's uh, it's just the way it's just just the way it is. Uh, you know, that is unless you have a tank blind. You know, we talked to the. Uh, the owner there of Tank Blind, he he swears up and down that his blinds are wasp proof, and I believe it. And that's that's absolutely fantastic, and it's great for kids because uh, my little girl Abby was stung, and it was it was tough to get her back in there, but she's she's tough. Um, so, uh, anyways, enough about the wasps. I say all this because I, I hate him myself too. Uh, but he he goes on to one of those other categories here is you know routine gear inspection. This is actually a this is a really good point here. A lot of things I don't even think about. Uh, you know he's talking about from you know taking care of your blinds, clothes, harvesting tools, rifles, okay, things of that nature. You know when it comes to routine gear inspection, I, I think that also you know, sight in your rifle. You know a lot of people say oh I you know I have my rifle in my case and I put it up, it's, it's not going to be off baloney. You know, there is a chance it definitely could be off, but but more importantly, you owe it to that animal. And I don't care if it's a hog or a you know a deer, you owe it to that animal to put a well placed, deadly shot on that that critter and drop them in, drop it in its tracks. Uh so I, I definitely think that's a that's an important part of any 
of any you know get pre preseason um, checklist, if you will, getting things done. And I need to take my own advice actually because I have not fired my deer rifle yet, and it is October, so I got to get that done. Uh, also talks about you know things like flashlights. Okay, I, I tell you that's something that, that I overlook, and, and of course you're not going to check your flashlight until you need. And this happened to me before. You know, nowadays when we got the iPhones and the batteries and the backup batteries, you know, we kind of take flashlights for granted, but you cannot beat a good flashlight, especially, you know, God forbid you got a wounded deer out there. I think it is absolutely essential. And he kind of talks about that here, uh, about having, making sure that you've got, uh, making sure you've got a properly working flashlight, you know, and that's for duck hunting too. You know, I, my headlamp, it just eats up batteries, drives me crazy. Three batteries every freaking time. And so I just routinely do that. Well, I need to check my, my light that's in my deer bag too, because, uh, you know, definitely need to, um, to, to, to take care of that. Uh, let's see. What else does he talk about? Yep. So he talks about here about talking about shooting your bows, shooting your rifles, making sure it's a quick, clean kill. Uh, totally agree with that. Um, obviously talks about safety, you know, for those of you who use climbing sticks, platforms, harnesses of any kind, you know, check and make sure the rusts are there. If you're using tripods, okay, for God's sakes, make sure they're okay. Um, you know, I, I've have some firsthand experience. I, I wasn't there, wasn't a friend, but it was a friend of a friend who uh, had a horrific, horrific, horrific accident off of a, um, uh, uh off of a tripod in, in West Texas and uh, fell off a tripod, and I'm not going to go into anything about it, but it was it was horrific. Um, folks, you know, it's something, just another reminder, you know, when, when your know, T-posts are, are essential, especially out, you know, West Texas, you don't have any trees to, you know, to, to tie your, your, uh, your tripods down, your stands down, you know, to keep the cattle from knocking over the wind or whatnot. But if you're going to use T-posts, which, you know, I encourage you to do so, make sure you hammer them in, uh, at, at the same angles of the legs are going in. Okay, you don't want this. You don't want that T post splayed out. Make it make it a part of the leg. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it at that. But uh, we'll keep talking about that one for years to come because it's absolutely essential. Um, yeah, he goes in here to uh, to talk a little bit more you know, about uh, uh, knives and whatnot. Okay, getting all your gear prepared. All right. Um, you know, we use Cutco knives. Uh, that's that's kind of what we prefer. They get a good big rubber handle. Uh, we like them. They get good gut hooks. Um, we actually have we have the ones with serrated blades and the ones that are not serrated. And we actually send those back to the factory in Rochester, New York, I believe is where it is, to uh, to get them sharpened. And they take the nicks out of them, things of that nature. So, you know, may not have to go to that type of, a, you know, uh, extremes, but I definitely encourage you to do so. You know, the, the other thing I'll, I'll make a recommendation for, uh, and we really talked about this a whole lot, but... You know, have multiple knives with you, okay? Not only, it's so easy to lose knives. Okay? It's, like, it's like a striker for turkey hunting on the box call. You, know, you can lose those damn things so quickly. But uh, yeah, what, what I like to do, you know, hair, fur, okay, is one of the worst things for a knife. I mean, it just dulls the hell out of it. Uh, and, and so obviously there's going to be a part of the cleaning process where you got through, you got to cut through hair. You got to cut through fur. And obviously with hogs, it's even worse because they got that... That, uh, that iron type skin in there, okay? So, you know, I really, really recommend you having a good, big serrated knife that'll just chew through that hair. Uh, and again, and, and you know, it's going to get a little tore up. That, that's okay. That's why you got it. But 
good aggressive teeth to, to, to rip through that hair. And then, of course, you can use a, a, a skinner, if you will, to, you know, to handle everything else. But, uh, but that, I think that's a good recommendation. I know guys that actually have got a set of knives for deer hunting and a set of knives for hogs, okay? Because, uh, you know, the, because the hogs are so much more difficult on the knives than, than the deer. Uh, so, again, something to think about. And then, uh, of course, you know, a first aid kit, I, I think, is absolutely essential, especially when you're out there in the middle of the nowhere. You know, not saying that you're going to break your leg or anything of that nature, but I, I think one of the more common injuries that could turn out pretty damn serious is the injuries to your hand while you're sitting there cutting. You know, I God knows what, if you ever meet me in person, look at my hands. I'll show them to you because I can go really fast and... Those Cutco knives, they really work well, especially on uh, human skin, even, even though my skin is uh, is pretty hard compared to a lot of other people. But uh, something something to consider, you know, an, uh, antiseptic, uh, what's that, that stuff that's a uh, brown bottle and you pour it out and it bubbles and it kind of stings, but it feels good. You know, you know what I'm talking about, whatever that stuff is. Uh, Band-Aids, you know, things of that nature. Keep that handy in case you cut your damn finger off. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that would really ruin things. Um, you know, the other thing he talks about is read your outdoor annual. Of course, they're not doing the outdoor annual because of the damn COVID uh, for 2020, but they have it online. And I think it's really important that everybody look at the outdoor annual online. Look at your county. Look at where you are. Make sure you understand the regulations, okay? Things change, you know. Um, you know, it, it's not as clear cut as okay, you know, um, you know, Matador County, you can shoot this, this, and that. And there are some counties where it's a little bit different. You know, it's a little bit different. You can't shoot a doe here. You can't shoot a doe there. Make sure that you understand, you know, what you can legally harvest and um, uh, and and where. You know, especially when it comes to like turkeys and stuff, okay? Like eastern turkeys. You've, if, if you can shoot Rios during the, uh, uh, during the fall, you may not be able to kill Eastern turkeys. So, you know, if you're in an area that's got both, so, so make sure you, you definitely check that out. Uh, something else we're talking about the hunting license. Okay. <laughs> got to have a valid hunting license. You know, I, I think one of the most commonly issued ticket, you know, besides just not having your damn hunting license is, is that when you harvest an animal, I harvest a deer. Um, yeah, I probably yeah yeah har harvest a deer, whether it be a whitetail or a mule deer. You've got to fill out the log on the back of your license. You've got to do it. And I think that that uh, I heard somewhere that that was one of the most uh, commonly missed things the past couple of years. And it is relatively new. Um, it's definitely relative. It, it's it's a it's a newer thing. And of course, that does not apply for those of you who are hunting on the uh, managed land deer permit ranches MLDP. Uh, because they, they they keep a log of that, so um, definitely, 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 uh, you know, keep an eye on on that. Uh, obviously, the easiest way to have a ruined hunt is to not have a not have the the, the proper tag. You know, something else talking about tagging animals. I you know a lot of people, you know, when it comes to securing the tag to the animal, I think a lot of people. You know, and, and I, I'm guilty of doing this. We'll just try to find, oh, God, you know, I need to find this. I, you know, I need to find a piece of wire. Or, you know, you go in there to the bread basket and grab the uh, the little twist tie, you know. Uh, be, go prepared, man. Take a take a, um, uh, take a a zip tie with you uh, and, and, and use it that way. You know, I, I've been on a couple of ranches where they actually take the shell 
that you that you harvested the animal with, and they put the tag inside the shell, and then they actually duct tape it to the antlers, uh, which obviously is a real foolproof way of making sure you do not lose um, that tag. I mean, that, that is, that is absolutely essential. Uh, one thing I kind of missed here, but I think is super important is, is, you know, talking especially in the early season is, uh, coolers, you know, ice chests and whatnot. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the Yeti boys had the, the, the vision to reinvent the ice chest and I'm sure as hell glad they did. And so I know a lot of other folks are too, because, uh, quite frankly, you know, going into town for ice became a real pain in the butt, especially in the early season. So, you know, if, if you have the means, get yourself a dedicated meat cooler, okay? One that you don't have to put the meat in grocery or in uh, garbage sacks and, and then delicately put the meat in there because you don't want to get blood all over the cooler. Yeah. No, 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 no. Get you a cooler that you can man up with your big beard and your pure black coffee and your tobacco and cigar and you just got John chopping wood and you cut that deer up, you wash them out and you throw them in the cooler and you sell hell yeah. And then you put a couple of bags of ice on, you're good to go. Okay. I'd say the, the most important thing is make sure that thing can retain ice. Okay. So the Yeti type coolers are absolutely essential. And then of course, do yourself a favor, put the damn cooler in the shade. Okay. Just because you've got one of those well, super insulated, you know, 8,000 pound coolers, you know, doesn't mean that the, the heat's not going to get to it. So put it in the shade and also label your cooler as well. Um, that's, uh, that's helpful for any, uh, you know, visits from the game warden or anything of that nature. You know, and that being said, if you ever do get visit from the game warden, you know, the, the, you know, you're cool. Normally they're going to be cool. Uh, it, you know, visits from the game warden, they happen. Uh, so think, be smart. I know you're pumped, you're excited, but, uh, do yourself a favor and cooperate and work with them. They're just uh, they're just doing their job. That's for sure. So, uh, anyways, this is a really really cool little article. I'm actually um, pointing out a lot of good stuff. Some of the stuff I didn't even think about. So I'm gonna go ahead and when we get done, I'll post this in the show notes. I think this is a this is a good one. So uh, again, everybody, if you're bow hunting, uh, if you've got any pictures, we'd love to see them. We've seen how we've seen a couple already. There's shot some really nice deer so far. Uh, it'll be interesting. I'd, li I'd like to hear from people how your acorn crop is doing. Uh, you know, the red oaks here in Dallas are absolutely going crazy. The live oaks haven't, which typically it's it's the other way around. I mean, some live oaks are, okay, but the ones I typically use to gauge, okay, how's everything going to be, they really hadn't started falling. And I haven't seen the, the Rancho Bandito. I know that the pecans are looking like they're going to have a good year, but the acorns are looking like just a, a normal year instead of a, a, a banner year like it was last year. So, anyways, that is all I have today. Um Again, as we always say, folks, um, you know, support your local feed stores, okay? Again, you know, when you go out and you buy, you know, a couple of bags of feed from, you know, your local feed store and you get a timer and a battery and, and something of that nature, okay, you are making a huge hell of a difference in the in the livelihood of that feed store. And let's not forget, it's a trickle-down effect, right? You know, you, you support that feed store. That feed store is going to be able to support their local grocery store. Uh, it's a good thing. Without small towns, uh, we, we, we as hunters, we, we kind of lose our identity, you know. So we have got to do our part to, uh, to help those folks, and they're working hard, you know. Uh, I would much rather pay a couple of dollars more, and I, I put my money where my mouth is, folks. I would much rather pay a few more dollars 
um, to to get some feed at a feed store rather than the big box store, something like Walmart. Okay, where you know Walmart could care less what you know about uh, about the corn or the quality of the corn. You know, so oh, sorry, I had to, man. Whew. I'm going to wet the whistle there. So anyway, support your local feed stores, folks. It is absolutely essential. And um, good luck to you. Be safe. Be smart. And we'll see you down the road, folks. Thanks for listening to the Feed Bandit Podcast. If you like what we discuss on the show, be sure to sign up to our email list to get even more killer hunting ideas, tips, tricks, and exclusive deals on innovative hunting gear and services delivered straight to your inbox. Sign up over at FeedBandit.com or simply by texting the word BANDIT to 33777. See you on the next one. And remember, support your local feed store.